Hey guys, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Squirrel with your weekly knock activism wrap up. Today we're going to be talking about car sleeping, transit sequa calculations, a little more detail on the lawsuit against the city regarding 5611, and a fun reading series about bus lanes. How's it going, Bushido? Uh, it's going pretty well. Hosted another couple of debate watch parties, which it seems like uh, if you didn't watch them, you got your fill of them. Uh, which, you know, I, I actually appreciated Warren and Sanders that first night. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Uh, the second night I just detested, uh, and I want my thousand dollars, Andrew. I want my money. I mean, that was literally his answer for every it single was amazing. issue. Like, we are abandoning the entire coastline where, you know, human civilization has been built for thousands of years. All of that land. Nope. Not, not worth trying to save it. Just take your money and run for the hills, folks. Well, or when they asked him about the, you know, gender pay gap and he was like, well, you know what would fix that for domestic violence victims? You're like, wow, that was a really interesting walk we just went on. No. Oh, why? I mean, he's just such a, like, he is, he is the definition of a broken record politician as far as I'm concerned, because it just... He, he, he literally sees this thousand dollars a month as like the panacea by which all, all wrongs within society shall be remedied. And it doesn't make any sense. It's like he has a fundamental misunderstanding of how society works. Um, and it's, it's painful. It's just painful to watch. And I mean, like, I, did, I, 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 I don't understand. I the did like his fourth all. wall breaking closing statement. Like that was pretty interesting where he's like, <laughs> I got no tie and I'm going to like kick down the wall and talk about like the performance aspect of all of this. Uh, but I mean, both for him and Marion Williams, like this was their last chance or Marion uh, Williamson. Uh, this was their last chance to like yeah. leave an impact because they're not getting Oof. on a debate stage again. So no, this was their not. one chance to yeah, be like, okay, where am I taking this once I leave this stage? And for Andrew Yang, it's obviously going to be selling this idea of UBI and probably paying a lot of yeah. consultants to do a lot of marketing campaigns around that. Uh, for Marianne Williamson, I yeah. think she's probably going to write a book and keep going on book tour and get paid a lot of money. So what's what's Tim Ryan? I mean, do? well, he is a congressman, so he can keep failing at that. <laughs> Oh, that's but right. with he with is. Williamson, I do want to give her some props for um, fighting for reparations. Like that was pretty yes. interesting. No, she did a good to job. Hear. Um, it still rang a little mm-hmm. bit hollow to me, um, but it was cool to hear, yeah. hear that like talked about on a debate stage. But even more earth shattering, I think, was uh, Julian Castro uh, or uh, Julian rather. Uh, yeah, Julian, Julian Castro, who <laughs> talked about ending. Um, uh, Oh, my God. Sorry, qualified immunity. Sorry, I had a slip there for a second. But ending qualified immunity for for police officers, which basically means, like, if you do something on duty, you're presumed to not be personally liable. So if you shoot someone, even in cold blood, uh, the victim's family or the victim, if you don't, like, murder them, uh, can turn around and, like, sue you. And the state protects you from that if you have qualified immunity. And then only under, like, very certain circumstances can it be individually removed. But removing that protection for police is a huge step. Um, He had a couple of other really, like, interesting ideas, especially decriminalizing the border. Um, They got a lot of pushback from Biden. Um, I tried to go to that website, and it didn't work out very well. It's not so much that it's like an... Wait, Joe. Well, because he meant to say, I guess he meant to say text, you? you know, Joe to three, whatever. Yeah. And he just like <laughs> forgot how to do that. And it's 2019. No. It's going to be 2021 before he sits in the White House if he gets there. And the fact that he doesn't know how to work an iPhone is a little bit scary to me. I'm not going to lie. It, it, true, true. Um, I think it wasn't. Um, it was Buttigieg's staffers that managed to pick up Joe30330.com or whatever it was right off the bat. Um, but the, uh, the thing for me with what Julian Castro was saying about the, the border is that, you know, it's crossing into the border illegally isn't a criminal offense. It's a civil offense. They just are currently choosing to prosecute, to prosecute it as though it was criminal. And that's, you know, uh, that, that is a, something that's fundamentally new in the Trump administration. Like this whole concept of, uh, just using, I mean, the, the, what's going on right now with, with Mexico in particular, with, with the, uh, the queuing of the uh, immigrants who are coming as asylum seekers, how they're having to wait in line in Mexico in order to have their cases even heard is just that's absurd and, 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 and completely contravenes the entire concept of having an asylum process. Well, like, it's, 
it doesn't. It's really even cruel beyond that. Where like we're hearing cases where absolutely like a toddler, like a three year old, came across the border with her grandmother, and they separated them, and they're mm-hmm. sending the grandmother back and putting up the three year old yeah, for adoption not. in Texas Ugh. because the grandmother is an ineligible <laughs> asylum seeker because she's not her granddaughter's mother and it like the cruelty really yeah. is the point in this one so seeing someone debating that on the national stage and even seeing like Joe Biden trying to defend the idea of having a secure border because Obama invested money in that mm-hmm. and deported a lot of people and Joe Biden was a very conservative democrat for his entire time in the Senate like he voted oh, for every border protection absolutely bill. so seeing him have to defend yeah. that legacy and remember he was the author of the 94 crime yeah bill very too, much so, so. Like, he's got yeah, it, it, it's it was really good to see folks piling on to Joe Biden to really tear his record apart. And, and uh, I was actually also thrilled to see that um, our state senator was actually being held to account for what she did as the uh, as the as the state attorney general, because she is 100 percent like responsible for being the top cop in that administration and knowing uh, well, rather, apparently not knowing. She's claiming that she had no awareness of some of the more shady activities that were going on in her office. But that does not instill any confidence in me that a former prosecutor is going to end up being uh, some great leader for the nation. I mean, they, they had a, uh, a very a very well put together, in, in my opinion, uh, piece on her in the New York Times podcast I believe it was either, I think it was yesterday or two days ago, um, where they actually went and they interviewed her. And it's like, she's an extremely like just a pragmatic uh, thinker who isn't, who doesn't really fit into any dogma. So you, you don't really know where she stands on any issue because you don't know what her ideology is like. And if you don't know what someone's ideology is, you don't know if you can trust them on issues unless they've got like some kind of an amazing personality that is just awe-inspiring and and charismatic to such a degree that they just inspire confidence of millions but i mean she she just she fails on that on so many counts like uh, she she completely and just decided not to prosecute steve mnuchin for his involvement in the massive uh, reclamation and destruction, a reclamation of properties uh, from black and brown folks in California, and the destruction of the general wealth transfer mechan- generational wealth transfer mechanism, uh, and, and and that you know not prosecuting those corrupt bankers who destroyed our economy and destroyed uh, the housing market and the life savings of of thousands of Angelinos is is reprehensible to the degree that uh, it's, I I think, disqualifying for for having any kind of a trust system uh, or any being deserving of any trust from the populace. Yeah, I mean, uh, an interesting series. Yeah, at least we we did get to see some discussion of the actual Green New Deal on this debate, which we got climate questions Mm -hmm. in the last ones. Uh, We didn't get a specific Green New Deal question on the first night, but the second night, I was actually kind of impressed with Gillibrand's answer. Um, I thought she did a very good job of defending why we can't look at the Green New Deal or climate legislation as just climate legislation. Like, it impacts too many of our aspects of life for us to actually ignore it. But I actually, I was happy to see that uh, getting out. And I feel like overall, the window's getting pushed farther to the left for Democrats. Um, Though apparently Biden's still up in polls, but I don't really trust the polls anymore. (laughs) And we're so far away from a single vote being cast that, you know, we'll we'll see. Um, But yeah, let's... uh, Well, the the other thing before we jump into the the local stuff, the other thing is to look at those those maps that came out today about where people's donors are and just how overwhelming the support is for Bernie in terms of the number of donors that are out there. Like I, I don't, when you see that kind of math stacking up and how much of a dominance he has in terms of the number of people making these donations, I just don't, I don't know why you would want to trust the polling when there is, you know, we, we've been proven, we've seen evidence that polling is, extremely fallible, especially in these kind of elections lately. Like, you know, Brexit was was polling uh, as not a thing to worry about. And yet there it is. And Trump was polling well behind Hillary. And yet there he is. And so 
there is a, a very good reason to be cynical about the uh, you know having faith in the, in the polling numbers, but the number of donors really does speak for itself, especially showing the massively diverse population that supports Bernie. So. I'm thrilled and excited to see that stuff coming out, but you're right. We've, we, this is probably the most time that we've spent talking about national politics at the start of one of these, uh, ever. Yeah. So we should probably get back to, the yeah, well, I was going to say, uh, actually listening yeah, to well, so on the <laughs> subject of, of taking the temperature of the room, uh, Michael Kohlhaas had a really interesting, uh, piece, uh, well, th- kind of, you know, his CPRA requests march on, but, uh, showing a staffer from Koretz's office admitting that they don't count mm-hmm public comment. So if you call a councilman's office oh, yeah. and say, hey, I'm for or against this, they're not uh, keeping track of that. Matter. But this was specifically uh, trying to figure out why it was that everyone in the room for 8502 seemed opposed to it. Uh, and the council basically unanimously voted to extend the uh, sleeping in your car ban for another six months. And you were there and it was a pretty wild scene all around. Uh, yeah, I, actually, that was the most wild I have ever seen the city council chambers. Um, it's so wild that they actually escorted uh, almost everybody out of the room, including a reporter who was trying to do his job and told the police that he was trying to do his job and that he was not a part of the, uh, you know, the vocal protesters that were being escorted out. And they didn't seem to care. So it's going to be interesting to see if anything comes out of that. Uh, Lexus from Del Taco is the, uh, the, the reporter that I'm talking about. He was just there literally yeah. to document what was going on for, uh, for his publication because he's a freelance journalist. So he doesn't have like, you know, those official uh, laminated press credentials that the LAPD shouldn't require, I understand. But did seem I mean, to be having looking, the having the credentials does for, so. uh, matter, especially because part of getting the official uh, L.A. like credentials for City Hall is that you get vetted by the police. Um, so, like, yeah, as oh, much yeah. as we like, as much of the citizen journalism thing is growing a lot, there's still a lot of restrictions on when you can or cannot be asked to to leave. And a lot of it's just institutional recognition. You know, the LA Times can get something for their reporters. For Knock, like, we'd have to get a couple of other uh, um, uh, publications to sign off on our reporters being reporters before we get the official badge. Um, But it's, yeah, it's an interesting process. But yeah, watching him get kicked out, it was something that a lot of people commented on that the white protesters didn't get kicked out. Well, uh, I mean, some of us did, <laughs> but the, uh, the, the folks, the white folks who were up at the front of the chamber and who had not really participated, uh, if, uh, if they participated at all, um, they had stayed more or less quiet. And so they were not asked to leave. Uh, one of the protesters was actually detained, but, um, so just, just for a little bit of uh, context before we go into yeah. what happened with the, t- the, the detainment and the eviction of the protesters and all of that, um, basically 8502 is the ordinance in question. And what it is, is a, uh, a measure that was passed by city hall back in, uh, 2016, uh, end of 2016. So this was when the city of LA, uh, had declared that there is a homelessness crisis. Um, they created the housing and homelessness committees. Uh, this is all you know, I'm repeating what General Dogon from LA can uh, said in his public comment period. Uh, he because he was there and was recounting from memory the, what the what the circumstances were that 8502 was implemented. So this was a criminalizing process that they the folks from LA can and other community activists had been speaking out against since the beginning. But it is a piece of legislation that basically or rather it's a city ordinance that prov- that makes it illegal for you to sleep in your car in proximity to schools, to parks, and to uh, most residential streets within the city of Los Angeles. So it, there are these things referred to as green zones and red zones and also yellow yeah. zones, although nobody really talks about the yellow zones because they're relatively meaningless. From my understanding, the yellow zones are places where you are allowed to, I guess, sleep in your car during the day, but not overnight. Uh, The red zones, you're not allowed to sleep in your car at all. And the green zones are the only parts of the city where you're actually allowed to sleep in your vehicle overnight. So in theory, this is meant to be applicable to, um, I believe, specifically the folks who are sleeping in their RVs 
on the side of the road. This was uh, that seems to be the target of who is supposed to be impacted by this. But what it really comes down to is that it is having a disproportionate impact on anyone who is basically relying on their vehicle as their last means of defense before they have to sleep on the sidewalk or in a tent on the sidewalk or whatever. They, the reality of the situation is that folks uh, rely on that, that vehicle to provide them with yep. some shelter. And it's really one of the most screwed up things about this is that in, in these red zones, you are legally allowed to sleep on the sidewalk next to your parked car. But if you're sleeping in your parked car, that's illegal. Yeah, so that's one of the, the really weird parts is, is the fact that like tent camping isn't completely illegal yeah. on the sidewalks. Uh, it's not completely legal, but like we we know that we've got 9,500 people living out of their cars in the city and like nearly, or like 16,500 in the county. Uh, yeah. And there's no mm-hmm. legal way for them to live. Like they can't just exist in public space if they need to sleep, which surprisingly all human beings do. It's it's this bizarre thing about the way our brains work that they need to be able to shut down for some period of time every 24 hours or so or else your health really starts to fall apart. So uh, one of the public comments during this motion and so just for a little bit more context here, uh, like I think it was around 25 or 30 or so people uh, ended up giving public comment in uh, in the council chamber and I, I, I apologize if I've got the count wrong on that but it was Uh, The point of this is that literally every single person who gave public comment was there denouncing 8502 and pleading with the council uh, to not renew this piece of legislation, Uh, aside from one person who uh, basically threatened them that we were just going to vote them all out of office and then threw a piece of paper at them and then she ended up getting detained. Uh, We'll get into that in a minute. So. Uh, Shayla Myers, who is an attorney with the Legal Aid Foundation of Los Angeles, said during her public comment on the motion that 8502 uh, represented a, quote, de facto ban on living in vehicles at a time when nearly 10,000 Angelinos have literally no other housing option, end quote. Uh, and and the, the basic gist of all of the public comments on this, and I, I also was participating in that public comment on this period, or during this period on, on this motion, uh, it was, we all were talking about the same thing. Like, this is an inhumane practice. This is, you know, victimizing the people within society who are at their most vulnerable. I was sp- specifically laying out the fact that, like, we know that homelessness and housing, uh, you, you know, People fall on a spectrum from being totally housing secure as like homeowners to completely housing insecure, where they have uh, now been res- re- like uh, turned into a, a situation where they have to sleep on uh, like a bedroll on the side of the street, like and everything in between, from tents to RVs to sleeping in your cars to bridge shelters to permanent supportive housing. All of these things that are the various levels of housing that people have and like you know one of the numbers that always gets brought up and i brought it up Mm. as well is the you know nearly three quarters of a million people within los angeles county are at the point of being housing insecure because they are spending well in excess of 30 percent of their income on rent uh and, and that that impact of you know, this is, again, that last measure of protection that you have before you end up sleeping in a tent is something that, you know, I thought that I had connected with the city council members who stared me in the eye uh, as I was making this case to them. Uh, But what ended up happening is that as soon as all of us had finished giving public comment, they did the whole, let's open the roll, let's close the road, tabulate the votes, boom, 13 votes to renew 8502, no votes opposed. There was no reaction from city council to anything that was. Wait, said I thought it was. I, I thought it was period. twelve zero because did Weezer vote? Because I know Blumenthal and Bonin uh, were not I there. I believe he did. Interesting. Correct. Let me let me let me double check on that one. Uh, maybe was it twelve? I thought no. It it was oh, it was right. thirteen right. zero. Um, with uh, good yeah. to see that, thank you, LA Times. Well, good for to see that Weezar shows up for like the worst <laughs> possible votes to make. Like, at least he's got his head in the yeah. game for that. Yeah. So uh, the it. Uh, <laughs> 
he did not make eye contact with me uh, <laughs> while I was giving that comment. But uh, I should have called him out seeing he as he is my city council member. Um, but uh, yeah, one, one of the things to keep in mind is that this was supposed to be this uh, ordinance when it initially was passed was supposed to be a stopgap yes. measure um, bef- while we were setting up uh, in theory all of these safe parking spaces, which never actually ended up materializing because Lhasa and the city have made the requirements so extraordinarily difficult for any service provider to meet. So we end up with like 300 parking spaces to deal with the nearly 10,000 people that are having to live on their cars. It's just patently absurd. And there it's one of those things where it's like, okay, we understand what you were trying to do in the first place, but clearly there has been a mismatch between what your intention was and how this ended up being executed. And we just need to deal with that and we need to have some kind of a reckoning of being like, look, this, this is not working. Business as usual is not working and we need to but change so it. But so for the, the month long period where the council was out of session starting July 1st, oh, so yeah. they weren't uh, enforcing the ordinance ostensibly. I mean, we haven't heard from anyone Correct. saying that they were ticketed for this. Um, but again, LA is really well, big. Well, so they, there was actually, there was actually reporting in uh, the Los Angeles Daily News that was uh, done by Eric Hines on uh, July 18th, 2019, where he said, quote, a city ordinance barring people from sleeping in vehicles parked in residential Los Angeles streets quietly expired at the end of June and LAPD officers have been instructed to no longer issue citations for the offense. Yeah. End quote. So uh, this measure was it expired and then the uh, LAPD was apparently not actually issuing any citations for this. Uh, so when the, the uh, vote had happened and basically everything devolved into utter chaos for a while, it was about 15 minutes of uh, people sh- chanting, uh, shame on you, uh, people chanting uh, about housing as a human right, not just for the rich and white, uh, and a number of other things that got shouted at city council. Uh, the press jumped all over the place and started filming what was going on. Uh, one of our allies, Sabrina Johnson, uh, basically was in the front row of the people who were being, uh, escorted out and she refused to comply. And so in the process of refusing to comply, the, all the journalists ended up focusing around her and she ended up having a, 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 this amazing shot of her being, uh, completely, steadfast in her resolve to resist the instructions of the LAPD officers in the council chamber. And then she was uh, handcuffed and detained while the rest of us were escorted out of the uh, premises. But while all of that was happening, Marquise Harris Dawson, council member Marquise Harris Dawson from, uh, don't remember which district number he's from. Do you remember? Uh, 10? No, that's Wesson. 10? No, that's Wesson. Five. Uh, anyway, from, from the area surround, is it five? So the, the area surrounding like USC and uh, along the 110 corridor, that's where uh, Marquise has his, his district. So he came back and actually uh, was speaking with a member of LA CAN uh, right next to where I was standing as we were oh, continuing right. to no, chant. No, it's uh, District 8. District yeah. 8. Okay, well, we can just leave all of this in and just be correcting ourselves because that's just how we roll. So uh, he came back to basically chide this member of LA Can who has been showing up at city council uh, sessions since forever and tell him that he ought to have known better and that they were stuck in a position where they couldn't have done anything but renew this measure. And he claimed that renewing the measure was, in effect, a favor to the unhoused. And I, I mean, I just, I, I straight up do not understand what he was trying to say there other than that apparently he was making a, an allusion to there being, you know, if this measure was not renewed, then there was no legal protection for people to sleep in their cars overnight in the areas that are currently mapped out as the green zones in 8502. Um, But that really just kind of flies in the face of the instructions that apparently LAPD officers had received to not be ticketing folks. So it's uh, really interesting that that was what was going on. Um, But he did actually, he actually told reporters uh, that uh, in, in an attempt at what seems like damage control, uh, that these renewed rules were a, quote, an attempt to strike a balance, end quote, when it comes to the demands of the folks who live in these homes who are 
extremely upset about having RVs in their neighborhoods and the demands of homelessness activists and the people who are actually experiencing homelessness that they you know not be persecuted for sleeping in their cars or at least provide like uh, some so sort of was, meaningful services for people who you know are stuck yes. out on the street which would solve a lot of the homeowner complaints um, while I still think there's probably a decent yeah. amount of the homeowner complaints that can never be satiated because they'll just complain about anything because they're fundamentally opposed to people being unhoused <laughs> um, insofar as yes. like not that they want to solve it they just don't want to look at it no they just don't want to deal with it they want it to be uh, cleaned up yeah it's one of those like clean street cr- clean streets issues uh, and like the uh, the purported uh, right to shelter situation that uh, Mark Ridley Thomas, like, I, I do not understand. We'll, we'll get into that one later, but for right now, at least, the, the city council <laughs> is moving to uh, extend some RV bans and stuff like that, stuff that they've been doing for a while, uh, just expanding the red zones oh, yeah, out. No. So, um, Exactly. So right after all of this went into place, uh, Councilman David Rue did submit a motion to extend a ban on RV overnight parking in at least one more street in his district. So uh, it continues, it marches forward, and we continue to see more and more criminalization of being home in the city of Los Angeles. So uh, that was a uh, one hell of an experience. Fortunately, just to wrap back up with this, Sabrina Johnson did end up getting released. Uh, she was not, uh, there were no charges levied against her. Uh, and she was able to meet up with us pretty much right after we all got kicked out and uh, had to leave the building. Um, so yeah, that was a, that was definitely an interesting way to spend my yeah. Tuesday. <laughs> uh, well, let's roll right along with some more council business. So they're changing some of the, the way that they deal with like CEQA complaints. Well, not CEQA complaints, but the way they deal with uh, CEQA evaluations and how we're uh, going to be dealing Correct. with some, uh, not just housing development, but also uh, transit development, right? Yeah, so this was actually in the same council session right after we were all kicked out of the room. Uh, they had a uh, they had a meeting. They had a motion to consider uh, that was uh, council file fourteen dash one one six nine, which basically is referring to the uh, two thousand and thirteen bill that was signed into law by Governor Brown uh, SB seven forty three. Uh, so quoting, quoting directly from the motion here, quote, the discussion draft recommends that the primary consideration in determining a project's transportation impacts should be the amount and distance of automobile travel associated with the project, namely the vehicle miles traveled, VMT. It also recommends considering the effects of the project on transit and non-motorized travel as well as the, as the safety of all travelers. It states that the level of service, LOS, no longer constitutes the, b- the basis for finding a significant environmental impact, yeah. end quote. So what all this really means is that the it's, it's basically looking back to when CEQA was first passed. So when CEQA, uh, the California Environmental Quality Act, was first passed into law, uh, cars at the time were incredibly bad polluters. They're, this was, um, I believe, right around the same time that catalytic converters were first coming into uh, common use. And so smog was like real bad. And the longer that you had cars idling at intersections or stuck in traffic, um, the worse the, the smog and the pollution uh, associated with that vehicle traffic was going to be. So the basically what ended up happening with this is that CEQA said, okay, well, the, the number one priority is that you keep the cars moving and you don't get them stuck in traffic because if you keep them moving, then they aren't going to be polluting for as long as they would be if they're idling in traffic. Um, so you kind of understand where this basis comes from, but uh, as the uh, urban planning field has advanced and as uh, pollution uh, you know, protections within the automobile industry in terms of like uh, actually improving their mileage of these vehicles has uh, happened and, and advanced. And we now are seeing some of the, the strongest uh, mileage requirements coming out of California uh, and, and continuing to ramp up despite what the Trump administration is trying well, to do. Well, being the, the biggest uh, car market those, in the country, we have some leverage. Oh, absolutely. So the those, those rules basically made the CEQA um, mechanism for determining what was going on with traffic uh, evaluations kind of out of date. So the uh, new rules are, are, are meant to determine uh, an elimination of how many miles are going to be traveled in cars. And so it allows for the ability of 
planners to take into account what happens when there are things like bus lanes and when you have uh, light rail transportation that, for, for instance, can get some kind of a signal priority over traffic. When you're talking about level of service, which was the old mechanism of doing these calculations, uh, you couldn't just have uh, signal priority be given as a default over to trams and transit because it meant that the vehicles that are not the trams were going to be idling for more time. Um, but in effect, if you do give signal priority to transit like trams and light rail, you actually are able to decrease the total number of vehicle miles traveled because that public transit is a more efficient mechanism of getting people from one area of the city to another without having to uh, sit in traffic. So the number of vehicle miles traveled is going to be the same whether no matter how many people are on that mass transit system. Um, but by encouraging more people to take it, you basically uh, eliminate uh, more cars from the road. And so now this is actually a mechanism, now that this is finally um, the law of the land here in Los Angeles, it's actually a mechanism that the Metro Board can use to start considering things like giving signal priority to the Expo line. And that's uh, potentially going to have a huge impact because uh, you, you're very familiar with this. Like when you sit on the Expo line and you have to sit at a red light in downtown or anywhere along the route from downtown all, all the way out to Santa Monica, it is easily one of the most frustrating experiences uh, <laughs> that you can have in, uh, in transportation throughout the city of Los Angeles because you're sitting there with like hundreds of other people on this light rail train and you're just having to wait at a light for, you know, 15 people in cars to get through during yeah. rush hour. So this is potentially going to have a huge impact on how, Metro is operating their trains uh, in the coming uh, in the coming years. Yeah, so, no, it's going to be hooray. interesting to see how that one plays out. And then I guess uh, so. The last one, uh, this is something we talked about last week uh, with K Town for All and a couple of unhoused folks, as well as uh, several other like groups in LA are suing the city uh, over sweeps now. And this is outside of Mitchell, but kind of seeks to expand the Mitchell protections to all of LA and not just Skid Row. That is correct. So this is a, uh, I've actually got a copy of the, uh, the legal filing here, uh, which is in the United States District Court Central District of California, Western Division. Uh, and it is a demand for a jury trial uh, that has been filed on behalf of a number of plaintiffs uh, who are being represented by uh, Shayla Myers and Rami Ganshaw. So Shayla Myers, again, is the person who uh, gave that public comment relating to 8502. Uh, she is one of the lawyers from the Legal Aid Foundation of Los Angeles uh, who is representing, uh, this in this case, a number of unhoused Angelinos as well as K-Town for All. So uh, we're, we're going in. Uh, so the, Actually, the, the attorney for K-Town for All is actually Benjamin Allen Herbert, along with William L. Smith, uh, and then the, the yeah, there's, there's a lot of technical stuff yeah. going on. With this well, let's, well, let's talk but for a second real quick. So what's K-Town for All's entrance into this? Like, what is leading you all to sign on to this lawsuit? Yeah, so K-Town for All basically has standing, as I mentioned last week. Uh, we have standing because we are expending resources in order to uh, basically counteract what the city is doing with their enforcement of 5611. Uh, and so the basic premise of this lawsuit is that 5611 is violating the constitutional rights of our unhoused neighbors. And then because K-Town for All is expending resources uh, in order to uh, deal with that situation that the city is putting us in because of their enforcement of 5611, that gives us standing to be plaintiffs in this mm -hmm. case, which is kind of fun because there are a lot of lawyers involved with K-Town for All. And then for the, for the unhoused um, folks, they, they have standing because they've been directly impacted by these sweeps. Yes, because it's their, their, their belongings that have been seized. So what it really comes down to is, I believe it's um, uh, the 4th and 14th Amendment uh, violations uh, that are being alleged against the city, that they, they are, are, are failing to respect those constitutional rights of these Angelinos. Um, and so the, uh, let me pause for a moment. Mm. 
And so I think it's actually worth reading here the preliminary statement from the lawsuit that uh, really just kind of lays out what is going on and why this is important. So uh, paragraph three, quote, by all accounts, Los Angeles is in the midst of a housing crisis and a resulting homelessness crisis. According to the 2019 homelessness count, there are approximately 36,300 people in the city of Los Angeles, hereafter referred to as the city, who lack a fixed, regular, and adequate nighttime residence. Paragraph four, this crisis did not occur overnight. For decades, the number of people experiencing homelessness in Los Angeles has risen steadily. As housing costs in Los Angeles have soared and wages have remained stagnant. While city leaders have failed to address this crisis, more and more people have ended up homeless on the streets of Los Angeles. Paragraph five. And there has been little progress towards, sub, towards abating the crisis. Currently, there is a massive shortage of affordable housing units in Los Angeles. An annual study released uh, in May 2019 found that Los Angeles County needed more than 515,000 additional affordable units to house the area's very low-income population. Uh, so this continues on for a while, yeah. really laying out what is going on with the housingness, housing crisis here in the city of Los Angeles and, and making the case that uh, because the city has wholly failed to meet the needs of these people who have been displaced from their from the housing market, uh, that the city really has no basis to be seizing these people's property when they're living on the streets, which very much falls in line with the Mitchell case um, from, I forget which year it was, from a number of years ago. It was 2007? Well, it was finally like resolved-ish um, in 2013, and then that's what they've been relitigating ever since. Yeah. Correct. So, I mean, this one... That, 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 that lawsuit took a long time. Th as so. they tend to. Um, I mean, it seems like this one's going to be a long fight because this is just the initial filing, so the city will have a chance to respond, and it's going to go on for a bit. Um, but I'm sure we'll keep an eye on it, um, and obviously not you know, discussing anything super sensitive because you are, you know, a member of a group that's part of the lawsuit, but at least how it's kind of going and, and how it's playing on the ground, because hopefully it will bring some relief to people. Um, hopefully it will get the conversation started that the city is just really not doing anything that's helpful, that uh, continuing yeah. to put people in jail just guarantees that we're going to have people on the street um, and that these you know, the attempts to build permanent affordable housing with me measured Triple H money has been woefully inadequate, you know, where we're looking at probably 6,500 units at best now built in 10 years with, you know, over a billion dollars. So I, I'm not sure what solutions the city can can come up with immediately, but it seems like they've dug themselves so deep into a hole that they just don't want to dig themselves out. It sort of echoes to me like 8502 where actually attempting to grapple with the problem in real solutions is just kind of beyond their political will at this point. Yeah, so specifically, it's actually worth pointing out that, uh, you know, paragraph 20 here in, in, this, in, in this court filing that says, uh, quote, in 2016, the city codified this position as part of its municipal code, referring to uh, the seizing of property. The Los Angeles City Council amended Los Angeles Municipal Code Section 5611, LAMC 5611, to allow the city to seize and in many instances summarily destroy homeless individuals' belongings. The stated purpose of the amendment to LAMC 5611 was to, quote, balance the needs of all the city's residents, end quote. Um, but the ordinance is far from balanced as written. It fails to provide the constitutional protections the court found lacking in Levon versus City of Los Angeles. So what it's really coming down to here is that saying, hey, we have litigated this before. The courts have told you to do the thing and you're still not doing it. So we're going to have to litigate it again. So that's what it all really comes down to. And it's going to be, like you said, very interesting to see how this goes through the courts. It could take years for it to all be resolved. Um, but this is just you know one of the many steps that are going to be necessary in order to protect the rights of our unhoused neighbors because they are uh, arguably some of the most vulnerable people who live in the city and they are human yep. beings and they need to be treated with the kinds of rights and given the kind of dignified life that they deserve as human beings. And it is just absolutely absurd that we have uh, continued to just criminalize the circumstances that people have found themselves in. Like it's not someone's fault that they are disabled and on social security disability payments. And then their landlord 
just decides to keep increasing the rent on them. Like it's not that person's fault that they're in that kind of a situation. Like they have been living in these places in many circumstances for decades before their landlord eventually raises their rent to the point where they can no longer afford it. And then they end up having to live on the streets. Like this is exactly what happened with like Joe Reyes and his circumstances where, you know, he ended up on the streets and was living out of a tent in Koreatown where he had lived for more than like 15 years. And then, you know, came back from work and found that his tent and all of his belongings had been removed during the, uh, during a hope sweep and, uh, ended up dying of heart failure because he didn't have access to his medication because it was seized during one of those cleanups. So this, this just is hopefully one more step in trying to stop the city's completely inhumane treatment of our unhoused neighbors. And uh, it's uh, really exciting to see this moving forward. Yeah, no, I, I like I said, we'll definitely keep people in the loop as it moves forward, but it's also not going to be a super fast process, uh, which oh, no. <laughs> is uh, always frustrating in these situations. But let's go ahead and talk about what I picked out to yell at this week, which is uh, <laughs> the Keep LA Moving. You turn it over to you this time. Yeah, but the Keep LA Moving splash page. Me fail English? That's impossible. So Keep LA Moving is... Oh, yeah, it's yeah, fun. So Keep LA Moving is the new uh, sort of NIMBY-ish group that is trying to fight against bus rapid transit across the city. Uh, and they put together a little, like write a letter campaign. Uh, so I just wanted to go through their landing page here because it's full of a lot of spurious statistics mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of just terrible <laughs> misunderstandings. So uh, right at the top. So before we jump into it, what's, what's the part, what parts of the city are we talking about here? Well, so I'll go through that as we, as we get into this because it reveals itself. So okay. uh, right at the top, uh, it says, if you live in Glendale or Burbank and want to organize opposition to Metro's proposed road diets in your community, please contact us. So this is already a Valley-based group, and what they're standing against is the bus rapid transit yeah. that would be going from uh, Chatsworth to Pasadena. Um, nothing like the orange line, like it wouldn't be a boxed-in like uh, lane, but rather just a dedicated lane for bus traffic only. Um, they've got a couple of All other right. groups that they list here. So Eagle Rock 411, Save the San Fernando Valley, and Keep Pasadena Moving, uh, which just... Yeah, lots of good astroturfing (laughs) names. The thing that I like, though, is on the Keep Pasadena Moving, uh, it's a picture of gridlocked Uh traffic. And (laughs) so I think that one kind of speaks for itself. But so they they lay into this. uh, Quote, LA Metro is proposing to remove traffic lanes on some of the busiest Uh roads in the San Fernando and San Gabriel Valleys to make way for bus rapid transit, quote, bus only lanes. Uh, Rather than decrease traffic Uh and gridlock and improve our quality of life, removing traffic lanes will destroy our communities. Uh, so wait, wait, please tell me that they're going to actually justify that. Oh no, not at all. They don't really make a whole lot of sense on either one. They've got the, they have the maps here, uh, which shows the bus route, which looks like it's a nice bus route. The thing is, even with this installed, you're not going to be doing fantastically great time, unfortunately, because it's not contiguous. Uh, there are several parts where the bus rapid transit lanes have to go away because of community opposition, which makes zero sense because then you're destroying the entire like meaning of a bus lane, like making it go away for a couple of blocks uh, kind of destroys its entire effective purpose. Um, But as they, they go down... They say, quote, everyone agrees Los Angeles needs more transit options, but removing car lanes on our city's busiest streets isn't the way to do it. Uh, Yeah, it's it's it kind of is like getting buses moving a lot more quickly can move more people (laughs) than cars. Um, As they argue later, exactly what we're talking about, the VM. Well, well, even later, they argue about how many cars are actually being moved on a given street. And when you see the numbers that they're talking about, it's like, well, that seems like too many cars, like even as is. And their plan doesn't provide a way forward mm-hmm. to like decrease the number of cars. Um, da, 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 da. So it, they continue on, quote, we were not voting for LA Metro to manufacture traffic congestion and gridlock, to push commuters off of our city's busiest boulevards onto neighborhood streets and to destroy our business communities with the removal of car lanes. What? So 
this has been a problem since Waze came onto the scene where people cut through neighborhoods and there's just no oh. real way around that one. It's also this, yeah. they don't cite any statistics for claiming that this happens. It's just sort of anecdotal. Okay. Um, but they, they then go into quote, Metro's proposed road diets for BRT will be a disaster for these communities if they're implemented. Groups from Chatsworth to Pasadena are opposing road diets for buses for many reasons. Now the reasons get very interesting. So their first reason is it will create a oh, traffic okay. nightmare. And their thinking here is that, quote, the, the guidelines, these guidelines rule out a road diet on roads in which traffic volume exceeds 20,000 cars per day and where hourly traffic exceeds 875 cars per hour. The roads loaded to lose lanes exceed these guidelines by as much as a factor of four, and that's based on data that's now seven years Whoa. old. So they're claiming that some of these roads are uh, allowing up to 24,000 vehicles a day. Yeah, well, I think they it's, it's I think it's more on the hourly volume where they they're claiming that it can oh. it, that some of these roads are hosting up to 2,000 cars an hour, which I don't really know about that because I don't think the cars could actually move in those conditions. Uh, even beyond that, though, this argument that we shouldn't use a busy thoroughfare for a, a bus rapid transit lane ignores why busy thoroughfares exist, like why you have those arterial uh, roads that yeah. connect. <laughs> uh, number two, it's... It have they not seen, like, what works with the flower bus lane? Like, that thing is amazing. It's pushing so many buses through that dedicated bus lane like there's that amazing video from Metro where they're showing yeah. everyone just sitting in gridlock traffic and these buses are just flying down the street with like actual, I believe it was actual ridership numbers in oh, them. Yeah. And it's, it's truly just astounding how well a bus lane yep. works. Well, uh, the reason number two is it's bad for our communities and dropping down a couple paragraphs, what? uh, they <laughs> talk about the Venice road diet. So I'm going to quote this one cause it's, it's got some interesting t statistics oh, I've, boy. I've heard before, but never seen actually, you know, uh, solidified. So anyways, quote, on Venice Boulevard in Mar Vista, 22 businesses have gone bankrupt or relocated off the 0.8-mile stretch during the two-year road diet. In the previous 10 years, just two businesses went under or relocated. In fact, there are, are now so many vacant storefronts on this 0.8-mile stretch of Venice that Mayor Garcetti is begging businesses to come back and set up shop again. This is bull. Like on several levels, um, one, the, the 22 businesses have gone bankrupt or relocated. That statistic is cited by these NIMBY groups, but never solidified. Like they've never pointed to what 22 businesses those are. Uh, as far as in the last 10 years, just two businesses went under relocated. I can think of two businesses I know there that moved into that neighborhood without others closing. Um, I, I, mm -hmm. Like none of this lines up with what I've known, but it's it's also them just kind of making up numbers, um, which they never really cite. Yeah. Uh, their third reason is it uh, will result. Uh, sorry, it will result in decreased mobility. Uh, again, this is where they're discussing how many cars per hour travel over these streets, um, and claiming that they can move uh, 3,600 plus cars at peak hours, uh, 1,800 cars per lane. Which I, again. Maybe that still sounds incredibly high and also not like driving is working the way that it's supposed to. Um, and something where, you know, I'm sort of okay with buses competing for, you know, space with cars if that means fewer cars are driving on that street because fewer tailpipe and non-tailpipe emissions. Oh, yeah. Uh, the next one is it's bad for our environment. Uh, now... Oh, by, by the way, before you go on to that, 1,800 cars per lane means uh, that, uh, what is it, 1,800, I was doing the math. Uh, we're talking like one car every, wait, that doesn't make sense. Hold on. Yeah, we're talking 30 cars per minute. So that's one car every two seconds uh, to get through, which at anything remotely resembling like a high density uh, of traffic, it, it, it doesn't flow that fast. Like that's an incredibly high number of cars on some of these congested, like that, that picture that they have for keep Pasadena moving. There's no way that they're getting two cars through each lane per second or per well, minute. I think they're also um, assuming sorry, that like cars per minute. every lane is going to be operating at full capacity 24 hours a day to get these numbers, which also 
doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> and it's it, so on their bad for the environment. Their argument is that the idling time is going to uh, burn fifty thousand gallons worth of gas needlessly. Mm, which again, yeah, you know, yeah. you can just get out of your car and ride the bus, and then you're not idling. So that seems yeah, to fix it. Yeah. Plus, if you're decreasing the number of cars that are on that road, <laughs> then you aren't going to have as many cars idling. Uh, they also assume that it's going to cost an extra ten <laughs> minutes per commute, which. Um, I don't know where, where they're coming statistic? up with that statistic because they're not showing any of Where's their work. the math coming from? Oh, man. Gotta love the NIMBY. Yeah, so uh, for their point number five is that it will make our communities less safe, citing specifically uh, ambulance response times. Um, I, again, like... Uh, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Ambulance response times, they're saying, are going to get worse when there is a bus rapid transit lane that the ambulance can use to skip all of the traffic. Yeah, well, the other funny thing <laughs> is that they, they don't cite any studies that prove worse response times. They just list like three YouTube videos no. that shows ambulances stuck in gridlock traffic, which, again, but when you're looking at the videos, it's not the buses creating the traffic, it's the cars. Like, the no. cars are the ones yeah. creating the traffic, where, like, the whole thesis of their thing is, oh, no, buses are going to create traffic, and we know that that just simply does not happen. Um, and then... And on top of all that, literally, the, the one of the points of them having these bus lanes is that it actually provides you with a mechanism where you can put emergency vehicles down the bus lane and they can skip all of the traffic because it's already clear and free of any traffic. Like it's, 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 they do not, they do not understand what is going on at the most fundamental level when it comes to this, this, uh, this claim about the ambulances. Like it's just completely manufactured. And it's, it, it, and also just not backed up by any data. And we know bus lanes oh, of course not. Yeah. across like this city that they've implemented have resulted in way better uh, transit times for bus ridership and like increased riders. Uh, and again, you know, the whole defense here is keep your car, don't get on a bus because a bus is ultimately going to make things worse. Uh, their last kind of like Jeez. argument that they're trying to make here is that none of these road dialects should be pursued because they violate... Uh, the federal guidelines on where a road diet would be a good idea. And this one just sort of seems like more of the we've dug ourselves so deep we can't dig ourselves out like or we can't climb our way out of here mentality where okay. people are just so stuck using cars and everyone is so conditioned to using their car to get around that anything that's going to be more inconvenient for that is going to be some sort of a massive insult to everyone in L.A. Um, rather than understanding that this is... Oh, the only possible way we have to start wrestling back our infrastructure and cutting down on, you know, traffic fatalities. One thing they don't talk about here is the number of people who are simply killed in uh, car collisions or collisions with uh, cyclists or pedestrians um, and like the 40,000 yeah. people a year that are dying. And, you know, a couple thousand people a year die on LA's roads, getting cars off the road, making them move more slowly. Yeah. These all increase safety in one of the deadliest cities for pedestrians. Hey, Vision Zero. Yeah, so that's sort of like an, a brief overview of, of what they're kind of trying to be pushing. Uh, I mentioned this because there's going to be more fights coming up for this. Uh, there was a really testy uh, community forum in Eagle Rock. They've decided to plan oh, even yeah. more of these. If you get the chance, even if you don't live in the San Fernando or San Gabriel Valley, even if you're just like a bus rider in downtown LA, show up for these and make your voice heard because the, the way we lay out this transportation is going to matter across the entire city, not just in this neighborhood by neighborhood fight that we're currently caught mm. in. Though hopefully Absolutely. the VMT planning when it comes to transportation is going to make this easier as we move forward. Yeah, I mean, that is that is one of the beautiful things about them finally getting this piece of legislation through is that that actually provides a, uh, a, a legal mechanism for like a statutory mechanism for calculating what the actual environmental impact is going to be and, you know, basically giving cover to anybody from Metro who has the backbone to go ahead and stand up against these people who are demanding that their cars be given priority over every other person who lives yeah. in the city. So it's, it's, uh, there was actually a really good bit of coverage from, uh, our friends over at LA podcast, uh, where they had actually been at that, at the, the, uh, the BRT meeting up in Eagle Rock and had experienced firsthand what it was like. So if you want to get like a firsthand recounting of what, what went down at that meeting, uh, there's at least one fantastic Twitter thread about Twitter thread 
that's a fun little tongue twister on, on, uh, unintentional, um, that, uh, that goes through all of, uh, you know, live tweeting what was going on. Um, but, uh, it's also worth just listening to what Alyssa Walker's experience was when she went to this meeting and, uh, you know, getting, getting some firsthand experience from what people, how, how voraciously folks will actually defend their cars. Um, and their ability to use them. I, I did see somebody uh, arguing on Twitter or shouting rather at uh, Jose Huizar just yesterday when he was uh, lauding the uh, effectiveness of this bus lane that we have on Flower, which runs through um, a part of his district. Um, the, he he was being shouted at by somebody from uh, some kind of a, uh, a reactionary Boyle Heights Twitter account uh, who was saying that, you know, oh, this is great. Let's just take away the, the lane that our, our, our taxpayers have been paying for and, uh, you know, refuse the public access to this thing that they paid for. It's like, no, dude, like, you still have access to it. You just well, and, need to ride Well, the and that's the thing is uh, make everyone's life the fees better. that you pay to drive a car on the city streets are not nearly enough yeah. to make up for the oh, amount of like wear and tear no, that you do. And then they're being so heavily folks subsidized. like me who don't drive in the city end up subsidizing that through... Uh, mm-hmm. Our bus fees through uh, risking our life on bicycles through like the added sales okay. tax that we have to pay in order to make up for that stuff. It's uh, yeah. Like ultimately we've just subsidized the, the use of cars and that has to be coming to a really like harsh stop sometime soon. Yeah. Um, but that, that's another fight yeah. that's going to keep going on for a bit. Um, that's pretty much all I've got for this week. I'm, uh, I'm kind of petered out. Um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> You got anything we need, uh, we need to keep on the calendar, Chris? Um, not at the moment. There's, uh, there's going to be a, a fantastic open house that Ground Game and ACLU, not open house, uh, a, a community forum, uh, that Ground Game and ACLU are going to be hosting at Emmanuel Presbyterian on August 24th from 1 to 3 p.m. Uh, we're going to be hosting a forum to talk about what is going on with the Sheriff's Department and uh, getting folks to be able to hear firsthand stories and accounts from uh, victims of deputy violence, from folks who have been uh, harassed by the deputies when it comes to uh, trying to get uh, legal recourse uh, from you know having lost a loved one, uh, folks who have been bullied by de- department deputies with the threat of uh, being separated from their children. We're, we're, we're really looking to try to get people to understand what it is that the deputies have been up to in the unincorporated parts of Los Angeles and in, in those other uh, the, the cities throughout the county that actually rely on the sheriffs as their effectively you know de facto government and uh, police force. Um, really just talking about what is going on and getting people to understand how much of an impact this has on our neighbors. And uh, it, it'll, be, it'll be a really good uh, event. So that's, again, it's going to be on August 24th from 1 to 3 p.m. at Emmanuel Presbyterian, which is uh, on the corner of Barendo and Wilshire, just two blocks from the Wilshire, Vermont metro station, which is uh, where the purple and red lines either meet or separate, depending on which direction you're taking right, them. cool. So uh, it'd be great to see people there. And um, yeah, I think that's all I've got in terms of uh, direct plugs to me. There's been... St- a lot going on, um, but you know, trying to stay uh, head above water with all this. But uh, as always, if you've got any events that you want us to publicize, take part in, or generally be made aware of, please visit our website at www.groundgamela.org or visit our Facebook page and send us a message there. Or, of course, you can just send an email over to podcast at groundgamela.org and uh, we'll do our best to keep uh, to cover it on the show. Yeah. So, Thank you very much for listening. Uh, as always, uh, you want to you throw it out with your quote? Uh, I don't have one this week. I'm kind of tired and out of it, so oh. I'll leave it up to you this time. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to you know, refer back to the, uh, the early days of this where uh, you know, stay angry and keep fighting because uh, that's the only way we're going to be making the, the changes that we need to see, folks. So again, thanks for, thanks for listening and uh, talk to you guys next week.